Amen. All right. I just want you to know, through all the baby dedications over the years, that was one of the most peaceful ones, all right? If you're in the early days, hey, it was a circus. Um, but man, just so thankful again for our families and just for grandparents and siblings, thank you for coming just to be part of this. Um, uh, I know it's short, but it really is meaningful, and it's a symbol uh, when we rally around each other in, in, in support. Well, um, it, if you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, we decided to uh, just to take three weeks with our elder team, with Chris, Andrew, and I, and just to give some standalone messages, just kind of saying, hey, this is what God's doing on our heart. Here's kind of the, the uh, burning word of the Lord, if you will, and so here's what we're going to preach. So this isn't part of, a, part of a series, and so you're probably going to get something different each week. Um, and so today, um, I wanted to kind of start out by taking you a little bit into my childhood. Um, uh, you know, in the 1980s and 1990s, now I'm an 82 baby, and so some of you are above or below that, right? But um, born in the 80s, I'm the youngest of three, um, but there was something that happened in our country called the savings and loans crisis. And if you're around back then, you knew that essentially what that meant is that you had banks and you had these kind of lending institutions in our country, which um, meant that a lot of the lending institutions, they actually began to falter. They began to go bankrupt. They cratered. And so there's a financial economic crisis in our country. Now, it affected lots of people in different ways, but for my family, um, we were in Texas, and, and my father was involved in different things from, from real estate to developments and different, and different things like that, and what it and, and affected him and affected us because um, he was just trying to find work. He was trying to do something that he enjoyed, allowed him to be connected with our family, and it was just tough. And Texas specifically got really hit really hard with this recession, right? So crude oil prices were essentially cut in half over a few years. Interest rates to get a home loan went up to 13%, right? So if you're trying to get a home loan right now, you may be four, four and a half percent. Let's say you got a loan. It was $1,000 a month. 13% would put you at over $2,100 a month. So it really made it very difficult for anyone to purchase property. You could go to these major cities, especially in Texas, and you would go to Dallas and Fort Worth and Houston, and you would see these buildings that more or less were empty. They were vacant. They were these huge office complexes that no one could rent because they didn't have any money to actually lease these things. It was difficult. It was challenging, right? But for my family, we moved around a lot. It was because of that and other things. And as a child, you know, I moved into, I don't know, eight or nine cities by the age of 10. And people always ask me, was your dad in the military? I'm like, no. They're like, then what happened to y'all, you know? I'm like, well, he just kept moving for work. We kept moving, trying to find a place. Now, I can look at my childhood and say, woe is me, we moved a lot, right? And listen, there are negative aspects of that, right? You show up to new school, you just start to make friends, and then you say, bye-bye, we're moving again. Right, you go into a church, you get established, you start forming relationships, and it's like, hey, we're gone again. You get onto a sports team, maybe you start making some friends, and then you're gone again. The packing, the moving, it is challenging. But when I look back at my childhood, I've chosen in the past years to look back in the positives. And they say, okay, God, that was trying, that was challenging, that was testing. But where were you in it? What were the lessons learned, God? Where were you in the midst of that trial for our family? And in case we don't know, when your parents are, when your parents are going through the trial, the children are affected by it, right? The children are not immune to it. They are pulled into it, and that makes it challenging. So this adventure we went on in my early days, we were pulled into it as a family. 
And so today what I want to talk about is what do we do with the trials and with the testing, right? Because it's not really a matter of if we're going to experience challenges or adversity, it's just when. I want us to go to, to James chapter one. <clears throat> if you've got your Bibles, have it up on the screen as well. James chapter one. We're going to look at three verses and kind of unpack that today to kind of hopefully give us a little bit of understanding, a little bit of resolve in how we deal with difficulties and trials. And the reason why we're going after this is because I really believe this day and age in our culture, um, not just for adults, but for children, this is something that we are being pressed on. It is not something that is being taught. It is not something that people are really admonishing. In fact, we live in a society that still is very much pain adverse. We don't want pain, so then we take pills, right? We don't want pain, so then we surround ourselves, we insulate ourselves. We don't want to experience anything that has any sort of negativity or hardship. But what we have to understand is that the Bible is very clear that in order to grow, you have to experience some of that pain, which sounds weird, right? It's like, but wait, isn't God loving and peaceful and kind? Yes, he's all those things. And in heaven, there will be no pain or suffering, but we're still on planet earth, right? So James chapter one, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now let's talk about counted all joy. Let's just all acknowledge that's a very strange phrase, right? Be happy when you're suffering. Like logically, it does not make sense. Like count it all joy when you're going through a trial. Sure, I'll high five and be upbeat. Man, how, how, how can he say that, right? Well, <clears throat> count it all joy. So um, <clears throat> I looked at this word trials, right? Count it all joy when you experience various trials. And I thought that's everywhere. Well, actually in the New Testament, this particular Greek word for trials is found three times. Once here, once somewhere else, and in Luke chapter 22, all right? To give us some context, I want to look at Luke 22. Now, the disciples are arguing with Jesus in a very silly argument, which more or less went like this. Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? Like, which one of us is your favorite, right? Your favorite disciple. Come on, you can tell us, right? Because I've done this. Hey, I was there when you healed that blind guy. You were, you were off eating, you know, like you weren't there. I'm sure that these little petty arguments. And you got to imagine Jesus is scratching his head thinking, I've spent years of my life investing in you guys. You're still arguing about who's like the favorite one? This is ridiculous, right? And so here's Jesus, but he's great because Jesus is so gracious. He responds with questions when we're wrong. So when Jesus asks you a new question, you're usually wrong. He's just trying to get you to understand it, right? So he says this, for who is the greater? One who reclines at the table, or the one who serves. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I, Jesus saying, but I am among you as the one who serves. So he's saying, okay, who's the greatest? It's the one who serves. Now, that was very different culturally. He then goes on in verse 28 and 30 in Luke 22. You are those who stayed with me in my trials. There's that trials word. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember, the argument was, who's the greatest? Who's the coolest? Who's going to be the favorite one? And he says, well, just so you know, the greatest is the one who serves. So they're like, huh? 
And then he says, but you guys have been with me in all of my trials, which is why back in James 1, when he says, count it all joy, Jesus is saying, you stayed with me in my trials. What do we need to get from that? That we don't run from Jesus or push God away when it gets tough. Like we need to cling to him. He's saying, because you stayed with me in my trials, there is something greater for you, something greater than you could ever experience on this planet. And that is in heaven, I'm creating a space for you. It's not just for the disciples. We know Jesus said that for us. I'm going, it's good that I go because I'm actually making a eternal home. I'm making a place for you. And so church, what we have to hear and understand is this. If we are only living for the benefits and pleasures of this world, then it, uh, you should be freaking out when the trial comes. Because it's like, it's, it's, all, it's all you got. It's all you're living for. But if you know there's something more, if you know I can count it all joy that I'm in this trial because I know it's gonna produce something really amazing and I also know there's an eternal reward, that's what allows you to go above and beyond the trial and the hurt and the pain. But if you only think about, I just need to get through this pain because it's not supposed to be like this. I thought God was loving. What is the, what, what is the matter, right? And it's like, God is so loving, he wants to mature you. Last I checked, maturity isn't just given, right? Salvation, salvation ain't earned. Like you're not, you're not working out your, no, no. Salvation, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But steadfastness is not a spiritual gift you're given. Endurance, perseverance. Anybody met someone who was born, never ran a day in their life, and they ran a marathon? You know that guy? Probably don't know them. They don't exist. Because you have to earn it. You have to get your body in a place to where you can actually go 26 miles without passing and fainting out or getting picked up by the golf cart, right? <laughs> so there's a reward for the disciples on the other side of enduring the trials. That's on the other side. The reward's not on this side. It's on the other side, right? <clears throat> so let's keep going, though. It says, for you know, right? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So that word know is not head knowledge, actually. It's personal experience. For you know, for you have personal experience, firsthand acquaintance with, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the testing of your faith. See, the testing of your faith is testing in, in your belief in the power of God and the word of God and the promises of God. Are you able to hang on to the power of God, the word of God, the character of God, the promises? Can you hang on in those dark moments? Or are you going to point the finger and blame him and say, God, you did this. I can't believe it. Are you going to blame him and blame others when you are suffering? Will you turn your backs on him when things get hard? Or will you be like Jesus said to the disciples, no, 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 you stayed with me in my trials. I expect you to cling on to me. Because we know that not only when you go through this personal experience, it what? It produces steadfastness. Now producing, that's an interesting word, right? So it's summertime. And when I was growing up, lemonade was country time powder <laughs> with water, right? Now it looks like lemonade. It even tastes like lemonade, but we all know it's sugar turned yellow, yeah. right? 
Let's just be honest, but I drank a lot of it and I sold it for 50 cents probably to Pastor Byers on Lemonade Day, okay? So country time lemonade. But what if I came to you and I said, hey guys, I'm gonna make you some lemonade. And um, I get a big pitcher of, of nice, you know, water. Of course, it's already been filtered because we know people don't like drinking non-filtered water. Um, <clears throat> so we have this bucket of water and I get four lemons and just throw them in there. Here's, here's some lemonade. You're like, no, that's water with lemons in it. A lemonade. Now, how do you get to lemonade, right? You got to cut them in half and squeeze them, right? You got to squeeze the lemon to get the juice out. And then when the juice mixes with the water, then you have limonada, right? You got that lemonade. So in our lives, though, we would rather just stay whole as the lemon. Nobody touched me. Nobody scratched me. Nobody better be taking, shaving me, cutting me. Just let me be because I want to have all the benefits of being the real authentic thing without being cut or squeezed, right? I want to be a devout Christian without ever going through anything close to remotely what Jesus had to suffer. I want to play the game without being squeezed. <laughs> being squeezed hurts. Being squeezed is not fun. I'm not saying you're like, wow, this is fun. Joy and fun are different, <laughs> Okay. It's not fun to be squeezed and to be cut and to go through that, but it is necessary. I'm telling you guys, it is necessary. It's necessary for adults. It's necessary for your kids. If you are parents in the room or future parents, do not surround your children in bubble wrap. <laughs> they need to get hurt a little bit. Like they need to get stung sometimes. It's going to help them. It's going to help them live a long life where they can survive and they can make it in this world. But man, this steadfastness, it is produced and you cannot miss that part of the process. In fact, steadfastness, some of your Bibles may be translated as endurance or perseverance, right? Maybe endurance or perseverance. But the definition of steadfastness is to endure patiently. All right, if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. To endure patiently. Because steadfastness is not a word we use all the time, right? but it's to endure patiently. So for steadfastness to have its full effect, right? When you go through the testing, you come out the other side, then it says what? You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now that's a pretty powerful statement. When you go through that process, you come out the other side and wow, there is something birthed in you, something in you did not have before that you got through that suffering. Now, do you guys remember who this letter was written to? We didn't read it in verse 1, but James chapter 1, 1, it talks about James writing this letter to the Jews, to those who have been dispersed, to the 12 tribes. Now, just to give you a little bit of history, right? Many of us know this, but some may not. The history of the Jews in a very summarized form was, remember, they're hanging out in Egypt. not really hanging out. They're in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, right? So they're being beaten. They're building the pyramids. They're doing all the other stuff, right? And so you've got the Jews there. And then all of a sudden, God rescues them miraculously with the 10 plagues. Moses brings them out. That whole crazy mess. They get out into the wilderness thinking, we finally made it across the Red Sea. But now we're stuck in the wilderness going, in circles. People didn't have faith. They did things wrong. God said, your generation is not going to go in the promised land, but the next generation will. Joshua takes the torch, takes them across the river into the land. They defeat many of the enemies. They then finally get established. You're thinking, man, we finally made it to our home. We are settled in the promised land, high-fiving, and there was some high-fiving going on for a little while until they started turning back away from God again when, th when things got hard, right? So look at the history of Israel. When things got hard, they started turning from him. They started turning away to false idols, to other things to ease the pain or to whatever. 
So then they turned, and then it actually says that God sent the Babylonians in to actually capture and destroy what was happening with the people. And so then the Babylonian Empire, they sweep in, they seize, they destroy the temple in Jerusalem, they take almost all the Jews back to Babylon, they then disperse these tribes all over the region, and he pulls in these group of young men, which we know are Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I want to take you into a scene just for a moment, because as we know, King Nebuchadnezzar, we'll call him King Neb, all right? He didn't deserve the full name title, King Neb. So he's there, and he pulls in these young men to be his advisors, a lot of wisdom. God bless him with wisdom, understanding. But in Daniel 3, we know, he builds this incredibly, ridiculously large statue of himself, and he gets everybody gathered. It could have been tens of thousands, millions of people in this huge field, I guess, and said, hey, everybody, when the trumpet sounds and the lyre and the harp and all the stuff, you better all bow, right? So at the same time, everything's blowing, and they're going, and what happens? Everybody just goes down. They're bowing to, to really honor this statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. That's what everyone's doing. But there's a few people who didn't bow, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're out in the crowd. Now, one of the advisors, one of these sneaky advisors, goes to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they're saying, hey, you said everybody's got to bow. So these guys you really trust who are your great advisors, they weren't bowing. What are you going to do? You said fiery furnace or bow. So King Nebuchadnezzar really likes these guys. He gives them a second chance. He calls them up there in Daniel 3, and it says, okay, guys, um, they were saying you weren't bowing. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's try it again. Cue up the team. One, two, three. Boop, boop. Right? And so what happens? What happens? What's the response here in Daniel 3? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow. Now it's one thing to be in the crowd and to not bow and to know the threat is at a distance. It's another thing to be invited up for round two, standing within 10 feet of the king, all of his evil advisors, and a fiery furnace that is so hot, it's probably singeing the hairs on your arm. And he's saying, I'm gonna give you one more chance to save your life. Just bow, it's no big deal, right? Just bow, man, it's not a big deal. No one's gonna know. We'll even tell them not to look. Just do it, right? But what do they do? They say, sorry, God will deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still not bowing. Now, what do you do with that if you're the devil? You don't like that. You're like, wait a second. The plan was to scare all of you, right? The plan was to threaten a few people and to make an example out of them, and everyone else will run and flee. But these three said no. But did that courage just kind of come that day? Did they like wake up to that day and say, you know what? We're going to stand firm today. Remember the history? The people have been persecuted. They have been hurt. They have been harmed. They knew stories of their ancestors for years, from Egypt to the Syrians to now the Babylonians. They had been in it. They had been challenged and tested and tried, and they had seen the faithfulness of God. And in fact, in Daniel 1, they were tested when Daniel said, hey, why don't you test us and see if eating vegetables and water makes us look better, act better than all your crew? 
He said, test us in this for 10 days. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ate the fruit. Or they, they just ate the vegetables and the water, and they came out differently. Then the guy was like, great, we're all going to eat veggies and water, right? They all became vegan overnight, <laughs> right there. So they'd already been tested, and that's what won them favor. These guys had already been tested, but before even that, they had already decided we are not going to give in. And church, here's what we need to hear. It is not when you are faced with a trial that you make that decision. You make it before. We do not send our military off to war without any training. They need to know what to do and how to do it, and they've already decided how they're going to proceed before that ever happens. We do not all of a sudden in the moment decide, but it's prepared. There's a preparation there's something where you already say in that secret place, God is good and I'm not moving off of him. I can trust God. I've seen his faithfulness. Yeah, things are pretty bleak right now. I'm not turning away from him. Is that in you? Is that in your heart? You see, when we're tested, <laughs> um, it's not just about getting through it. It's not just about despising that thing. I can look back at my childhood and it pales in comparison to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But for a trial for our family for 10 years, more or less, we had to make a decision. Were we going to keep pressing on or quit? Every time I moved to a new city, my parents diligently tried to find a new church for us to go to within weeks. My mom, she's here today. She's an extreme introvert. And she forced herself to get to know other women at the churches. My dad, they, 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 they reworked their work schedules in order to make a space for us to actually do sports and to find friends and to do it over and over and over. And so don't you think that getting live, living in that realm, living in that for a decade of my youthful years, it's enabled me to be able to say now in my adult years to say, there is no place we can, like, it, we, we can live anywhere. We can thrive anywhere. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter what job. It doesn't matter how many friends or how little you have. We can make it because God is with us and he's cultivated something in us. But that was a challenging journey <laughs> with a lot of tears. But that produced something now that when I'm asked to bow, I'll say, no, thank you. That's what God wants us to have, guys. That is steadfastness at its core, to endure patiently. Every one of us are in a trial, have been in one, or about to be in one. They're going to be big and little. You have to decide now. But just to close, we invite the band up. I want to take us into something that James says at the very end in James chapter 5. He, he mentions this word steadfastness one more time. Interesting. He doesn't say it in the rest of the letter, but here at the end. And he says, behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Wait a second. Keep it up there. <laughs> if you don't know the story of Job, it's a really painful story. I'm willing to bet no one in this room has Job's journey. If you don't know the story of Job, for more or less, it's 42 chapters of excruciating reading to where you go through and you see how a man has had everything taken from him, from land to housing to children to loved ones to friends to livestock to income, everything. Even his own body was inflicted with different diseases and things. And yet God said, you will not die, but it's going to be painful. And Job, a person who probably had every right to say, God, I hate you. 
to say, God, you did this. You're not good. You're not a provider. You're not loving. You're a liar. Don't you think Job had every right as anyone in human history to say, look what's happened to me. But you know what he says? In Job chapter 42, the last chapter of the book of Job, in six verses, this is how he responds. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. How is that possible? A man who had everything taken from him. Worse scenarios than any of us could paint altogether. But he responded with, God, I'm just a man, and I trust your purposes. And in fact, so much so, I'm going to actually repent for everything that I did with you. At the end of all of it, this idea of gratitude, humility, and even repentance. And do you know what happens to Job? It says, actually, God restored double of everything he had before. Not just the lands, not just the livestock. He had 10 children, I think three daughters and seven sons. God replenished him. He gave him more than what he had before. But oh man, God is calling us to be those that when we go through the trials, we respond like Job. Say, God, I'm so sorry I blamed you. That's not even right. Lord, I trust you. But what if in the midst of the trial, you just clung on to Jesus? You say, you know what? I'm not giving in. I'm not bound to that lie. I'm not blaming you. I'm not turning from the church. I'm not getting angry. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there because God is good. And even if I don't make it out of the furnace, he's still good. And he's preparing a better place for me anyway. So what's the deal? If we're clinging onto this world, guys, you're not gonna have that kind of conviction. But if you're clinging on to heaven reality, the things, the momentary afflictions, Paul calls them, who he had a lot of pain too, they pass. So I want us to stand this morning. Here's how we're gonna respond. There's one thing I didn't tell you about steadfastness. And that is, although it's only referenced a few times in the New Testament, it's referenced over 200 times in the Old Testament. And every single time, barring a couple, it's referenced the Old Testament. This enduring patiently word, it's referenced with the steadfast love of God. Steadfast love, his steadfast love endures forever. You can read it. It's not just in the Psalms, it's everywhere. Read through it. I actually, I actually went through all 200 verses last week just to verify. And what I found is over and over and over, people throughout the Old Testament are saying, but the steadfast love of God. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got that in them before they were ever asked to bow. They just said, God, we receive your love full on. We trust you. No matter what happens, we're not giving in. We're not denying you. We're not turning our backs on you. And if things get hard, so be it. Because when you have that mentality, you can look at the face of the trials and say, bring it on. But I'm not giving in. And then it makes you stronger. It doesn't make you weaker. 
the testing and the trials are meant to produce something in you, producing steadfastness, producing perseverance, producing endurance. And then when you get it, then you pass it on. You disciple it to someone else. Amen. But guys, here's how we're going to end. We're going to stay where we're at. We're going to worship. And I just want everyone to take a moment. And I want you to ask the question, (laughs) have I received the steadfast, persevering, enduring love of God? And guys, the only way I know how to describe that is by being a father. I love my kids. They have annoyed me once or twice. You love your kids. They've done things you haven't appreciated. (laughs) But aren't we called children? We're children of God. Don't you know that he has had to steadfastly, endure, patiently love us through everything that we've done and are doing and are going to do? But if we have that kind of love upon us, then in that same way, we can know that no matter what we go through, he's with us. You're not alone. He's not abandoning you. So I want us to ask a question again as we go into worship. Have I received the steadfast love of God? Do I know that kind of love from the Father? If you have, you haven't, I just want to pray a simple prayer. You can pray with me if you'd like, but just, Father, we need an extra measure of your love this morning. We cannot just with willpower overcome the trials. We have to cling to Jesus in the midst of them. We have to hold on to the promises, hold on to the word of God, hold on to the love of God so that we can make it through. So Lord, I pray for every one of us that we'd be a kind of people that whether we are a child or an adult, whether we're 80 or 10 or 50, no matter if we are in a difficult season or an easy season, that we would cling fast, we would hold on to you. We would never let go of you, Jesus. We would never let go. We would know that if we hang on to you, you will help us endure, overcome, and to push through any and everything that comes our way. So Lord, we receive it this morning. We receive your steadfast love. We just say, thank you, God, for your enduring, patient, never-ending love. Thank you that that's the way that you've loved us. Thank you that's the kind of love you're wanting to put into parents' hearts and grandparents' hearts towards their children and grandchildren. That we are meant to look at our children and say, I wanna love you with everything I got. I wanna care for you, I wanna sacrifice for you because God, we know that's what you've done for us. And we wanna do that for others. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love.